occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> Welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Happy New Year! Dudes, but you just said Abby new here. It's funny because I'm Abby and I'm new here. <laughs> I'm Kate and I am old. <laughs> Merry 2020. This episode's a mess already. Yeah, we're 10 seconds in. Anyways, this is episode 11. Yeah, happy new year. Uh, I'm going to be talking about an exorcism. I'm going to be talking about Robert Maudsley, aka Hannibal the Cannibal, aka the Brain Eater. Spoilers. Delightful. Something that'll really push you into 2020 feeling really good. Something that'll make you feel better about the new decade because no one's eaten brains yet. That's true. No one's been possessed by a demon in 2020. There we go. Let us know if you're going to be the first to be possessed by a demon in 2020. <laughs> it's going to be me. God, I hope not. Got me too, right? <laughs> oh. uh, I don't think we have anything else to say about from happy 2020 soon to come hope you guys have enjoyed this three-day bender of podcasts oh yeah i forgot we were releasing them all in three days yes it's uh it's been busy i've been busy you've been busy it's been busy that it has um we'll go back to releasing every sunday slash monday when the new year comes yes we will and uh we will record in bulk so that we don't have weeks where i'm bedridden yeah so today i'm gonna be talking about a demonic possession Woo! Starting the year off right. Well, this comes out on New Year's Eve, so it's not the start. Of I don't know. Day. Someone might listen to it at one minute past midnight. Oh, that'd be so cute. That's what I'm going to do. So this is The Exorcism of Roland Doe. It's the true story that inspired The Exorcist. Have you seen The Exorcist? Yes, I have. Finally, a film that I've seen. What did you think? I thought it was tacky. I thought it was old. I thought it was... <laughs> it was good. It was obviously good for the time. I feel like it's the same as Jaws. Um, where it was scary for the time, but it hasn't aged too well. Now it is just kind of like they throw everything in at once. Like there's green vomit, there's swearing, there's blood, there's levitation. It there's was a everything. shock film. Yeah, it was made to be shocking. I remember um learning about it in my film classes, and we learned that when they first started releasing it, they showed it in like tents and stuff at like events because right. they couldn't get it in cinemas. And then when they did, they started doing like one at a time around the country and everyone was talking about how like this film was so obscene and like crazy so people wanted to see it they made it to be crazy oh it's kind of like um the reception of the human centipede i guess yeah like that's kind of like yeah because it was like oh this film's so gross and i was like no way and then i watched it and i've never regretted anything more (laughs) yeah the exorcist is kind of like that for that that time yeah it's probably the first one of those like shock horror sort of horror films that's cool yeah i think i just think its problem is that it hasn't aged too well yeah, well, if you watch horror films now as well and you're more desensitized to things like violence, swearing, and, you know... Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't care if 10-year-olds swearing. Yeah, whereas rather the they was didn't. Like, what? Yeah. I remember my mom said that my dad went with his mates and he invited her, like, when it came out, and she was like, I'm never seeing that because she was so scared and she never, ever has seen it since. So. Has <laughs> she not? Oh, no. God bless your mom. Love you, mom. Yeah, so I didn't seek this out because it's based on the film. I was researching demonic possession, and this is the <laughs> I only... I should do. <laughs> This is the only one that's officially documented in America. Can I just put a side note out there? I always do my research at the um, pub that I work at. And 
I hope to God that their Wi-Fi doesn't access all of my search history. <laughs> because it's just like, brain eater. Like, friggin' everything else that I've researched Slender over the past man, 11 yeah. episodes. Yeah, like, it's always been like, what's the worst crime in Britain? You know? <laughs> like, all of my patrons are just sitting the other side of the bar like, can we get a drink? And I'm like, no, one second, I am researching the Moors murders. The police are going to bust in and just grab you. Yeah. Like, this weirdo. <laughs> the FBI agent on the other side. Yeah, so this is the first documented one. I don't know if it's the only one. I did see that, but I don't know if there's any since. But this was definitely the first officially recorded exorcism in America. Wow. Do you know what the first uh, recorded exorcism worldwide was? Nope. Ah. People don't really record exorcisms because it's something that you kind of have to believe in. So, yeah, but the like the Vatican believes. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, they have like the exorcism squad. I know they're not called that. Well, I'm gonna try and get a qualification in demonology. So when I do that, I will let you know. Abby, you don't even have a job. <laughs> but My <laughs> sources are WikipediaMedium.com, all that's interesting, and TheScariestStory.com. Are you messing? That's it. Four sources. Ketchup, mayonnaise, mustard. Oh my um... goodness, please stop this awful joke. Why have you only started it on these three podcasts that we're I'm... releasing one after the other? Kate, what if I'm someone s- listens to these? Kate, I'm so hungry. What if someone <laughs> listens on the first to all three of them, then they've started the new year off with three shite jokes that are exactly the same. I couldn't even think of another source. So this story dates back to the 1940s <laughs> goodness. in Barbecue. Washington. Oh, I love barbecue sauce. In a small, quaint community. The name of Roland is a fake name given to the young boy. You might have guessed his surname being Doe. Uh, he was exercised in efforts to hide his identity, so they didn't want anyone to know who he was, because he was, he was just a kid. They wanted him to have a normal life. So the boy lived in a house with only adults. He had no siblings or other children in the household. Many of the children at his school described him as being extremely quiet and unpopular, but he loved to learn. Me, at school. Yeah, right. <laughs> Roland was extremely upset over the loss of his aunt, who was a spiritualist and had taught him many things, including how to use a Ouija board. That's a vodka on energy right there. My goodness. Me. How old was this boy? Uh, I didn't... I don't think I've written it down. He's, I think he was 14. And he already knew how to oh, use I a Ouija board. Oh, I did write board. it down. Yes, he did know how to use a Ouija board. His aunt taught him how to use that. Well, I mean, at least he was taught how to use it right. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that doesn't mean he's gonna though, or he's gonna take it seriously. God, I hate that. You know that you shouldn't, you shouldn't mess with those things. No, if there's something there, I don't want to annoy it, and if there's nothing there, it's a waste of time. Oh, you don't want to summon something. That's what I mean. Like, if there's something there, you don't want to annoy it. Just leave it alone. So, Roland was a normal child until the death of his Aunt Harriet in 1949. After she died, the family started noticing unusual things in the house. Furniture moved on its own, objects would levitate, and they would often hear strange noises. They would also, like, the walls would start dripping with water randomly, and the mattress would, like, shift and lift around. Mm -hmm. As the disturbances continued, they got worse. It started with scratching on the walls that turned into thumping, and at one point, a portrait of Jesus on the wall began moving and banging against the wall. Cool. 
Roland was 14 at the time. Yeah, I did write that down. Mm-hmm. And these occurrences only happened when he was nearby. Bye, Roland. You're off to boarding school. Because I'm not having any of that. Yeah, so he was the thing that tied it together. They realised that he was, like, causing all of this stuff. Right. It also helped that his eyes had rolled into the back of the head and he was speaking in tongues, but they didn't <laughs> notice that until after. <laughs> Roland's family asked for help from every doctor, psychiatrist, and priest that they knew. Fair enough. Eventually, they found a minister with an interest in parapsychology, which is the study of psychic phenomena, Mm -hmm. and they arranged for them to meet with an exorcist. Okay. Roland was treated by exorcists on multiple occasions. The first was by Edward Hughes, who conducted the exorcism in a hospital, but it was never completed. The exorcism or the hospital? The exorcism. Right, okay. An unfinished hospital. Well, I didn't know. Okay. No, it was the exorcism was never finished. Why wasn't it? Because Roland was able to escape the restraints during, and he lashed out at the priest. He he got a bed spring from the mattress, broke out of the restraints, and stabbed the priest. Oh my goodness! In like the shoulder, it wasn't like a fatal wound, but he they couldn't Jesus. continue that. I feel like that's the time that you most need to continue that. Yeah, but they couldn't because he was loose. Jesus. When you exercise and look at that, they have Just to be like... Just kick him over, he's only 14. Okay. I'm not recommending kicking over 14-year-olds, but... So the exorcism was halted, and the family made contact with a different priest, who was also a professor. This guy was called Raymond, and he kept a long, like a, a long list, like a log of the events okay. that happened while he was working with Roland, which the other priest didn't do. Because, you know, he was like a professor, he was an academic, he wanted to like know everything. Yeah, he wanted to like study it alongside helping it. Exactly. So after learning what happened with the first exorcism, the priest made detailed um, like preparations with the second one, and he called two other priests to assist, Walter and William. <laughs> okay. Well, just so you know who's here, in case I have to mention Walter, them. William, and Ray- Raymond, right? Yeah, the priest squad. Exorcism squad, like I said earlier. Yeah. The second exorcism took place on Easter Monday in 1949. The priest strapped Roland down, and once they had finished the preparations, they began exercising the demon. Okay. What does that consist of? How do you exercise a demon? You get it out. They have to... <laughs> well, I figured he wasn't going on the cross trainer, Ab. <laughs> you have to restrain them and, like, um, read them something that will make them... Like a religious release the body. script. I the power of Christ compels you. Yeah. Okay. I didn't write down exactly how to complete an exorcism, but I did once, and I think that, yeah, I think you, there's, like, different things that you can say, but I think to be an exorcist, you have to be a Catholic priest. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that you had to be, like, a member of a religious authority. Yeah, so during the exorcism, they noted that words began to appear on the boy's body, the words evil and hell were materialising into his skin, and the mattress underneath Roland violently shook. He would also have screaming outbursts and make sounds in a guttural voice, like what they put in The Exorcist. Yeah, when she was like, telling the priest to fuck her or something. Yeah. Roland also had a huge X marked on his chest and scratches, and the priests believed that it signified that they had ten demons inside of him. Okay, bit of a leap. The priests were frightened, but they continued with the exorcism, and one of them had their nose broken by the boy. Which one? 
Didn't William see. Walter and Raymond. I don't know. <laughs> You've not done enough research. The exorcism lasted approximately eight minutes. And afterwards, Roland yelled, it's over, he's gone. The room where the exorcism took place was sealed off. Okay. Like forever? I don't know forever. Okay. <laughs> you, you ask such random questions. Maybe if you'd have done Was the hospital fully research? built when they put it? <laughs> I just didn't understand the sentence. After the exorcism, Roland went on to live a normal life. Apparently, he didn't experience any more problems. Mm-hmm. We know of the story because one of the priests left his diary at the hospital, and it was found before the building was destroyed, which was a little while later. Okay. That's cool. The events were used in the exorcist novel, and then obviously the film later on. Uh-huh. And people think that he might have just suffered from mental illness or abuse, especially thinking about he's just lost his closest relative. It could just be he was traumatised, it was... You know, back in day. But also he was using a Ouija board, so I mean, we don't really know. Equally, um, there are some things, you know, if the priests were writing down what genuinely happened, you can't mark words into your skin if you're being restrained. Do you well, know what I mean? Well, we'll get to that. Because not- obviously, I like to give both sides of the story. Okay. In 1993, Thomas B. Allen wrote a book called Possessed, where he also added a selection um, of like thoughts from experts about the boy and a lot of them said that Roland was just a disturbed boy and there was nothing supernatural about him mm-hmm. one author questioned many supernatural claims of the story and said that Roland was simply a spoiled bully who threw tantrums to get out of things and that's what he did here he says that one of the priests who was there said he'd never heard the boy's voice change and he was only mimicking the latin he'd heard the priests use so yeah. he was speaking latin but it was the stuff he'd heard the priests say well, there's a, a slight flaw in that, though, in that if they were saying whole sentences in Latin, unless this boy's got a really good short-term memory, it's unlikely that he'd be able to repeat it verbatim. True, yeah. If he didn't know Latin. When they checked the boy for scratches, they also failed to check his fingernails to see if he'd done it himself. But he was restrained. Yeah, but not for, like, days and days. He could have done it before they got in. Okay. So they were old scratches. Right, I thought you meant, like... They saw the scratches appearing on his skin. There's no like proof of that. Right. They didn't write that down, okay. so we don't know. Right. He also discovered that there was no evidence of a priest being injured by a bed spring and that the priest didn't even visit Roland's house. There was no actual evidence of that. Well, there wouldn't have been if he didn't write down. So, yeah, there's there's two sides. He, he could either be mentally ill or a brat, but priests thought he was possessed and the media like sort of hopped on that for a good story. Or he was really possessed through the Ouija board. And, you know, things still moved around in the house. Like, uh, what do you think happened here? I think I am hesitant to believe in possession. because Do you believe in anything? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'm open-minded to all of it. But I think that because it's the first possession recorded in America, and it was, what, the 50s? Like, that's super late. No possession in America before the 50s? Are you messing? That's obviously... Officially recorded, though. Yeah, but what is official about it? Just the fact that it was written down? It was written down, like, in a step-by-step situation with, like, logs. I suppose... It was the 40s also. I don't know, though. If, if, If your kid was possessed and, like you notice some weird shit happening. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
all of the stuff that you said, you would write it down. So for that to be the first one in the 40s, I feel like it was probably accentuated by the media. Yeah, he probably was like a, an awful kid. But I think, um, you know, the house might have been haunted. I give it that. Yeah, that's true. Um, and he probably did have some issues. He probably... He could have seen that the house was haunted and was like, how do I jump on this to get my own way? No, I mean, like, he was probably troubled. Oh, through, like, his death and stuff? Yeah. Like, through through the aunt's death and, like, if the house was haunted anyway, he could have been, like, super freaked out. Like, if she was a spiritual woman, she could have been saying, no, it's okay, I'll protect you. And then she's died. And he's like, oh, yeah, interesting. So he's, like, freaked out anyway. And the ghosts could have, you know, say he did do a Ouija board, that could have annoyed the ghosts. So they framed him for something like that. Interesting, yeah. You know, like, it could have been... I'm not saying that the house was on it, because I don't know, because I haven't been to the house, but, like, it could have been something like that. Or the kid could have been... You know, he could have really had some mental trauma. Anything could have happened. He was in a house with only adults, do you know what I mean? Like, he could have been being abused. Didn't he didn't have been... any friends or anything. Exactly. Um, So he might have thought it was a joke. Yeah, possibly. Um, He might have... I don't know. I honestly do not know what's happened, but it just seems odd to me that the first official case of possession in America is in the 40s. It seems so late. Fair enough. So. That's a good idea. I don't know. I don't know what I think. Yeah. I feel like, although everything's been written down step by step, there still isn't enough information. Yeah, but equally, I don't think there's enough information to just, like, like that guy was trying to dismiss it by being like, well, there's no proof. And I'm like, but why would they have written that down? Because it's not like he gave, he was giving the diary out. I think that's the thing, is that, like, it's the first one, but he wasn't, the priest wasn't like, yeah, this definitely happened, everyone read my diary. He left it there, and they found it, like, 20 years later, you know what I mean, when they knocked it down. It wasn't yeah. like, he, he'd left it there, like, on the bedside, so people could see it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that would be like, okay, maybe he wanted it to be shown, but the because the gap... Do you know what I mean? He might have just like put it down somewhere though. He, he was exercising somewhere, probably a bit stressed. <laughs> I imagine so, yeah. But you would have remembered if you've written down everything step by step. Surely you would know where that is. I don't know. Do Seems know? a bit odd that you would write everything down meticulously in order of everything happening and then just drop it. Yeah, on yes. your way out. That I seems a bit fishy. Let us know if you think this boy was really possessed by a demon. Or not. Yeah. And if you like the movie The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Exorcist wasn't bad, but it, like I say, it feels a bit dated. Fair enough. <laughs> we both just looked at each other like, you want to plug or you want me to plug? How about you plug today, Kate? Okay. So if you want to see all the photos of everything that we're talking about and get regular updates from us, then you can go follow us at Myths Magic Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We've also got a website mythsmagicandmurder.weebly.com I never want to get it wrong so I always get her to do it uh, where we've got information, we've got the episodes we've got um, a support us branch where you can go, you can buy us coffee you can do a one off donation on PayPal you can um, join our Patreon well, yeah, we have small tiers and we have bigger tiers and you can get 
Sorry, Kate always says the same thing, so she wants to say it. Go on, Kate. I do. So the tiers range from next to nothing a month to a sizable donation. Um, and everything you can get everything from shout outs, follow backs, Discord, new episodes, letters, whatever you want to get from it. You can get anything your heart desires. Not anything. Um I'll ship Kate to you for a small fee. Do it. Get me out of here. <laughs> Um, she only lets me out when we want to record. <laughs> Get it back in the wardrobe. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you don't have anyone but you want to support us, just like our page on Facebook or something and, you know, give maybe us a review on Instagram. It would be nice. You don't have to give us money. Yeah, likes, shares, comments, reviews, everything. They will help us. So thank you for your continued listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And if you want to buy a print uh, with sign and dated on the back, you can do that on our website as well. Yeah. Take it away, Kate. Tell us about this brain eater. I will. So, today I'm going to be talking about Robert Maudsley, aka Hannibal the Cannibal or the Brain Eater, as I've already mentioned. The sources that I've used are Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Liverpool Echo, MurderUK.com, TheFamousPeople.com, ListFirst.com, MSN.com, WickedWee.com, The Observer, The Times, Parkman.com, News.BBC.co.uk, and The Guardian. Give it a rest, Kate. Also, Liverpool Echo. Shout out to where I live. Woot, woot. Liverpool. I don't live there anymore. I just moved. Well, this whole thing is set around Liverpool. So. It's still in my heart, though. <laughs> so, Robert John Maudsley was born on the 26th of June in 1953 in Toxteth, which is in Liverpool in England. He's been officially classified as Britain's most dangerous prisoner, but I'll leave that for you to decide. So, he was one of 12 children born to Jean and George Maudsley. At six months old, Robert was put into care of nuns at Nazareth House, which was an orphanage, in Crosby, along with his brothers, Paul and Kevin, and his sister, Brenda. At around eight years old, he was brought back home by his parents, along with the other siblings, although they hadn't visited their children until the end of their stay at the orphanage. Why did they put them in an orphanage, or were they required to go there? They put them in the orphanage. They put them there, and then they just picked them up a couple of years later? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah. Oh. They weren't very good parents. Yeah. From here, the children were subject to lots of abuse. The Liverpool Echo did an interview with Paul, who said, Bob didn't get abused more than me and Kevin. All three of us got our fair share. Brenda wasn't beaten. But he was the youngest, and I think things affected him more. It was just the old fellow that hit us with his fist, belt, and sometimes a stick. But Amar instigated half of it. We went to the shops. If we went to the shops instead of coming straight home, she would bring it to Dad's attention and he would beat us. Right. Yeah. So. I love you trying to say Amar. We were both horrible. <laughs> In your little London accent. Ma. I... <laughs> Shut up. Um, after 12 months of Robert and the other children being rehomed with their parents, only Robert was taken away by social services and put into foster care. This is something the other children would never understand. And I don't, I don't either. Yeah, I don't have a clue. Maybe they just didn't like him. They don't sound like particularly nice people. No, social services took him away. Oh, I thought they put him back. Sorry. I no, he went into foster care. Social oh. services took him, but only him. That's weird. Yeah. Well, especially since Paul said that there was no favouritism in the beatings. Yeah, that is odd. At 16, Robert had moved to London on his own and resorted to drugs. 
He was an addict and was heavily depressed. He tried to take his own life on multiple occasions to no avail. When speaking to doctors around this time, he said that he heard voices that were telling him to kill his parents. Okay. Yeah. Where Robert was so heavily addicted to drugs, he needed fast money, so he became a sex worker. Obviously, like I said, he was only 16, so when he moved to London. It's unclear about the timelines, really, when he became a sex worker, but I think he was subject to more abuse when he was, quote-unquote, a rent boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. In 1974, so when Robert was 21, he committed murder. A man named John Farrell had picked him up to use his services when he started showing Robert pictures of children who he had sexually abused. So Robert strangled him to death. Okay. So that makes some sense, I guess. Uh, You cannot really justify murder, but at least it wasn't just like randomly. Well, this is the kind of controversy of the whole story. I'll just wait till the end and then... Oh, is he like a... Okay. So when he was arrested, he was given a life sentence with a recommendation to never release him. He was seen as not fit to stand trial he was like seen as mentally unstable so he was sent to Broadmoor Hospital um, which is for mental patients the murder earned him the nickname Blue supposedly because of the colour John had turned okay lovely nickname in 1977 Robert and another inmate David Cheeseman locked themselves in Cheeseman. a cell I knew you were going to do it this is a story about murder sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> I, that's just a fun name isn't it <laughs> At least with the UFOs one, it was funny because the man's name was Lasagna. This it is about murder. It was Lazar. <laughs> wasn't. Anyway. Sorry, Cheeseman. Robert and another inmate, David Cheeseman, shut up, locked themselves in a cell with David Francis, held him hostage, and tortured him for nine hours before eventually killing him. My God. David Francis had been accused of child sexual abuse. He's the one that died. Okay. One guard reported that Francis was found with his head cracked open like a boiled egg, with a spoon hanging out of it and part of the brain missing. This earned Robert the title of the Brain Eater and Hannibal the Cannibal. Hannibal. Yeah, Hannibal the Cannibal. Ew. Ew. Like an egg. Ew, like a spoon. Cracked open like an egg. I'm going to be sick with a spoon. Yeah. That's so gross. Mm Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah, right? Ew. Was the... Did he eat the brain? Part of the brain was missing. Oh my god, he ate the brain with a spoon. He cracked that man's egg, egg open. <laughs> he cracked and then that he, man's egg. And then, then he, he ate that man's egg. Ew. Oh my god, that's awful. Obviously, people didn't like this. <laughs> Obviously. And he had to stand trial for the murder. He was surprisingly deemed fit to stand trial this time. Which he wasn't for the other one, like I said. Even though he just killed the guy with this guy, he cracked open his head and ate his brains. Yeah, so instead of being sent back to Broadmoor Hospital, he was sent to Wakefield Prison. He hated it there and made a plea to be sent back to the hospital, but the request was denied. In 1978, he killed two other inmates at Wakefield Prison. The first victim was Solney Darwood, who was convicted of manslaughter of his wife. Robert had invited him to his cell, but upon entering, he strangled, stabbed and killed Darwood. Then he moved the body under his bed. From here, Robert attempted to lure in more prisoners from outside, but none of them took the bait. Then Robert went stalking around the wing, looking for another victim. He found William Roberts, who had sexually assaulted a seven-year-old girl, and stabbed him with a plastic spoon that had been broken into a point. 
Eventually, Robert smashed his head into the wall and hacked at his skull with a sharpened spoon, which then killed him. Once he had killed the two men, apparently he went to the wing office, put down the sharp spoon, and told the guards they would be too short for roll call. Which is such a power move. I mean, it kind of is. Right? I'm not condoning what he's doing, but that's a power move. From here, he was kept in prison, but moved to solitary confinement, because obviously they can't have him hanging around other prisoners now. With people with brains and things. Yeah. Yeah. They made him a two-cell unit in the basement of Wakefield Prison, which was nicknamed the Glass Cage. It's reminiscent of the cell in The Silence of the Lambs, if you've seen it, that Hannibal's kept in. Okay. Yeah. The cells for Robert are around 5.5 metres by 4.5 metres and have large bulletproof windows that he can be observed through. All of the furniture is made from compressed cardboard and he sleeps on a concrete slab. Robert's held in this cell for all but an hour every day, and the hours for exercise, where he's accompanied by six prison officers to get him to and from the yard. My God, so they, they're really worried about this guy. He's literally, he's officially the most dangerous prisoner in Britain. Wow. Yeah, he's allowed no other contact with other inmates, obviously. Robert has since said that when he kills, he thinks of his parents. One quote used a lot is, if I had killed my parents in 1970, none of these people need have died. So... Some real hatred there. Yeah. Robert wrote into the Times, which is a newspaper here in the UK, in 2000, saying, The prison authorities see me as a problem, and their solution has been to put me in solitary confinement and throw away the key, to bury me alive in a concrete coffin. It does not matter to them whether I am mad or bad. They do not know the answer and they do not care, just so long as I am kept out of sight and out of mind. I am left to stagnate, vegetate, and to regress left to confront my solitary head-on with people who have eyes but don't see, and who have ears but don't hear, who have mouths but don't speak. My life in solitary is one long period of unbroken depression. Why can't I have a budgie instead of the flies and cockroaches and spiders I currently have? I promise to love it and not eat it. If the prison service says no, then I ask for a simple cyanide capsule which I shall willingly take and the problem of Robert John Maudsley can easily and swiftly be resolved. Wow. Yeah. He wanted a budgie. <laughs> Long story short, he wanted something. Because That's a cool letter though. He's obviously pretty intelligent. Yeah, he has a super high, high IQ. He loves poetry. I think he has a PS2 and he plays COD. Fair. Um, because he had nothing for so long. And he kept making requests because he was like, I'm literally here 23 hours. Yeah, give me something. Yeah, like I'm going to go insane. And Paul, his brother, was saying, like, it's frustrating because they used to have contact time, Paul and Robert, um, and then they stopped that when they moved him to Wakefield Prison, I think. And then he obviously got worse because he wasn't speaking to anyone again. So obviously the guards don't really chat to him. So, yeah, he's kind of just left there to rot. And, um, yeah, but apparently he likes classical music. He has a high IQ, likes poetry. Likes budgies. Yeah. Um, apparently in 2008, he wasn't looking so great and people thought he was going to die. However, he's still alive to this day. And thanks to the passing of Ian Brady, who I will definitely be covering at some point, um, Robert has become the longest serving British prisoner and the earliest person still living to be subject to a whole life order. Finally, and 
unfortunately to some, here's an email received by Murder UK. I was a prison officer at Wakefield Prison for over 28 years. I was on duty on the Saturday morning when Maudsley killed Darwood and Roberts. I then had the dubious honour of supervising Maudsley on a great many occasions, until I retired in 2005. For the record, this will burst a lot of bubbles, Maudsley never ate anybody's brains. Oh, <laughs> he wasn't a brain eater. This was a myth that grew up following the manner in which he killed his second victim in Broadmoor. In Broadmoor, inmates are only allowed to eat with a plastic fork and spoon, unlike a normal prison where they have a plastic knife. Maudsley and Cheeseman, who was the other hostage taker, took an inmate hostage and barricaded themselves in a cell. He fashioned a makeshift weapon by snapping the blade of the spoon down the middle to create a rough pointed weapon. He killed this inmate by ramming the spoon deep into the victim's ear, penetrating the brain. Needless to say, when he pulled it out, it was covered in gore, which was allegedly his brains. None of it was ever eaten. With regards to the statement about crushing skulls like eggshells, this was what he did to Darwood when he swung him round the cell with a garrote and smashed his head against the wall. I realise this blows a perfectly good myth wide open and will probably never get printed. You but, clickbaited me but and at, everybody else. But at least you now know the truth. Finally, I always address him as Robert when in casual conversation. From Peter Northrop. I did clickbait you. He didn't eat the brain. Well... It's just one alleged guard. But yeah, apparently no, he didn't. That's a really interesting thing because I don't really know what to make of it. I do not condone any of the behaviours. But it's kind of hard not to root for him. Yeah. It's one of those things in it where like he's obviously just so angry at his parents who obviously did him very wrong and while the other kids didn't do that, you know, he got out of there. And then he, I'm sure that he was more exposed to the horrors of the world because he'd already dealt with some of them. Yeah, equally, he and started just working like, as a sex worker from like yeah. 16. And was like, well, I have nothing to lose, so I might as well just erase the parasites of the planet. Yeah, you know, turned into like a kind of vigilante. Children. Exactly, yeah, you know. He obviously didn't care and was just like, well, you don't deserve to be alive, so you can't, you can't hurt anybody if you're dead. Yeah. But equally. Equally, you can't go around killing people. Yeah. It's it's a hard one, isn't it? Let us know what you think. Yeah, it's, it really, it tore me in half kind of reading it. Because I was like, oh, I can't root for him, really. Because he is literally just murdering people. And, like, people need to see justice. You know what I mean? Especially for crimes that are that bad. Like, child sexual abuse and, you know, murder, manslaughter, whatever you're going to go Yeah. For. They, they need to trial them. You can't just... Exactly, there's a the justice year. system for a reason, but equally, you know, the guy on the street that he first got imprisoned for, he obviously wasn't going to face justice. He was still on the street. Yeah, and he, he was, was bragging about it. it. Yeah. And, like, if he'd have phoned the police to kind of tell on him, would they have necessarily believed a 21-year-old sex worker? True. So, it's a hard one. It is. Yeah. Glad you liked it. Sorry that the brain eating wasn't real. It's okay. You did clickbait, but it's whatever. <laughs> That's his name. The story is still really good. On all of the, the websites, that is still his alias. He his... didn't eat the brain. He maybe did. He didn't eat the brain. He probably didn't, no. I thought he was going around spooning out people's brains <laughs> like an egg. Sorry. 
Sorry to disappoint, but no one's brain was eaten. This is a weird podcast. It really is. Sorry. (laughs) Happy New Year, brains. Yeah. Don't eat a brain. Yeah. Don't eat a brain. Don't listen to this before bed. Listen before bed. And don't have an awful New Year. Yeah, have a good New Year. Have a happy New Year. See you in 2020.